0: Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Tuesday, June 9th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, the shift to ARM-based chips for Macs might be announced in a matter of days. IBM says it is straight out exiting the facial recognition business. Google Maps will help you avoid COVID crowding. A deep dive into Nextdoor's Karen problem. And the issue of non-competes in tech rears its head once again. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Time to get hype for WWDC, I guess, which, by the way, is coming up in two weeks, kicking off June 22nd. Sources are telling Mark Gurman that Apple is planning to announce its shift to its own ARM-based processors for use in Mac computers at WWDC later this month. Now again, the move away from Intel chips has been fairly well telegraphed for a while, but if in fact the announcement of the shift is in fact made in a couple weeks now at WWDC, that would be moving up the timeline a bit, or maybe not. Because this would just be the announce, right? And developers, of course, need time to prep for this change, to work on this, so maybe the announce is right on time, if you imagine a switch of chips would actually occur next year or in 2022. But also, the details that Gurman has uncovered are interesting. Quoting from his piece... Apple's chip development group, led by Johnny Srouji, decided to make the switch after Intel's annual chip performance gains slowed. Apple's engineers worried that sticking to Intel's roadmap would delay or derail some future Macs, according to people familiar with the effort. Inside Apple, Tests of new Macs with the ARM-based chips have shown sizable improvements over Intel-powered versions, specifically in graphics performance and apps using artificial intelligence, the people said. Apple's processors are also more power-efficient than Intel's, which may mean thinner and lighter Mac laptops in the future. The company is working on at least three of its own Mac processors known as systems-on-a-chip, with the first based on the A14 processor in the next iPhone. In addition to the main central processing unit, there will be a graphics processing unit and a neural engine for handling machine learning, a popular and powerful type of AI, the people said. In the past, Apple has made chips for specific Mac functions such as security. TSMC will build the new Mac processors using a 5-nanometer production technique, the same approach as for the next iPhones and iPad Pros. Intel rivals Qualcomm and Advanced Micro Devices also use TSMC to make their chips. The Apple chip project has been in the works for several years and is considered one of the company's most secretive efforts. In 2018, Apple successfully developed a Mac chip based on the iPad Pros processor for internal testing giving the company confidence it could announce such a shift this year, end quote. IBM has sent a letter to members of Congress announcing that it is exiting the general purpose facial recognition business and that it opposes the use of facial recognition technology for mass surveillance, quoting Axios. IBM no longer offers general-purpose IBM facial recognition or analysis software, CEO Arvind Krishna said in the letter, quote, IBM firmly opposes and will not condone uses of any technology, including facial recognition technology offered by other vendors, for mass surveillance, racial profiling, violations of basic human rights and freedoms, or any purpose which is not consistent with our values and principles of trust and transparency, end quote. An IBM representative told Axios that the decisions were made over a period of months and have been communicated with customers, though this is the first public mention of the decision. IBM said it will no longer market, sell, or update these products, but will support existing clients as needed. The letter also included Krishna's suggestions for legislation around police reform and the responsible use of technology. IBM said that AI, for example has a role to play in law enforcement but should be thoroughly vetted to make sure it doesn't contain bias. The company is also calling for stricter federal laws on police misconduct. Quote, Congress should bring more police misconduct cases under federal court purview and should make modifications to the qualified immunity doctrine that prevents individuals from seeking damages when police violate their constitutional rights, Krishna said. Congress should also establish a federal registry of police misconduct and adopt measures to encourage or compel states and localities to review and update use of force policies, end quote. Now, your first reaction to this headline probably mirrored my first reaction. And actually, it seems like our gut instincts are probably right here. As Chris Anderson tweeted, quote, This is brilliant. Number one, fall woefully behind in a technology. Number two, realize that you have no chance of ever catching up. Number three, declare that the technology that you can't do is evil and promise to do no more of it. Number four, write a letter to Congress. Number five, profit, end quote, Though, as Gary Reichardt tweeted, quote, This tech is not that complicated. Pretty soon a commodity in tech terms. IBM did the right thing before they are on the wrong side of this. The others will follow. The consequences for abuse must be high. And people and companies personally liable for surveillance of society, end quote. To which I'd say, yeah, but are you honestly saying that IBM would walk away from a multi-billion dollar business if they thought they could own it? I don't know about that. Still, maybe I'm being too cynical, and this is a credit where due sort of thing, quoting Jesse Hempel. This huge IBM move will force other large tech companies to take a stand, even if their silence is their statement, end quote. And as Evan Selinger tweeted, quote, While some companies think it's enough to tweet support for social justice while marketing a tool for oppression, IBM gets out of the facial recognition business and states opposition to mass surveillance and racial profiling, end quote. Interesting raise Tuesday. I think I've mentioned before that this is one of the most fascinating areas to me in all of fintech. New York-based Wahed Invest which describes itself as the world's first halal robo-advisor, has raised $25 million, led by Saudi Aramco, quoting Crunchbase. In 2016, Yhead launched what it describes as the world's first automated Islamic investment platform with the aim of providing access to halal portfolio management for 2 billion Muslims around the world. The proprietary platform uses real-time software the company says is fully automated and uses customized financial optimization algorithms. Last October, Wahed launched in Malaysia after the Malaysian Securities Commission awarded the company with that country's first Islamic robo-advisory license. And last May, Wahed announced it was expanding its operations globally platform, which was previously available only to U.S. and U.K. communities as of May 2019, provided access to, quote, Islamic value-based investing to residents of over 130 countries, including Nigeria, India, Pakistan, and the MENA region, end quote. Two billion people with perhaps underinvested assets. That's a hell of an addressable market, if you ask me. more signs of recovery from some corners of the tech world that have been, up till now, the most affected by COVID-19. Didi Chuxing's CEO has reportedly said that Didi's ride-sharing orders in China are recovering to essentially pre-pandemic levels, with daily car-hailing orders currently surpassing 30 million. CEO Cheng Wei also said daily bike share numbers have also returned to around $10 million a day. Now, this is reporting on numbers from mainland China, which, again, is theoretically months ahead of other places in terms of things getting back to normal. Still, quoting Reuters, Didi, which has operations in eight overseas countries, Japan, Australia, and six Latin American countries, has over 10,000 employees, including 2,000 overseas, Chang said. In April, Chang said, the company wanted to achieve 100 million orders per day and accumulate 800 million monthly active users globally by 2022. That same month, a senior DD executive told Reuters in an interview that its overseas orders were also recovering from mid-March lows, end quote. customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Remember how yesterday Airbnb was telling us that folks seem to be ready to travel again? Well, in aid of that, Google says that Google Maps will now show COVID-19-related alerts and local travel restrictions, as well as crowdedness predictions, just in time for what I guess will be some form of summer travel rush. These features are coming to Google Maps on Android and iOS in the latest releases, quoting from Google itself. When you look up public transit directions for a trip that is likely to be affected by COVID-19 restrictions will show relevant alerts from local transit agencies. These alerts can help you prepare accordingly if government mandates impact transit services or require you to wear a mask on public transportation. Transit alerts are rolling out in Argentina, Australia, Belgium, Brazil, Colombia, France, India, Mexico, Netherlands, Spain, Thailand, United Kingdom, and the U.S., where we have information from local transit agencies with more coming soon. We're also introducing driving alerts to notify you about COVID-19 checkpoints and restrictions along your route, like when crossing national borders, starting first in Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. You'll see an alert on the directions screen and after starting navigation if your route is impacted by these restrictions, end quote. And as far as the crowdedness predictions go, you might recall that Google Maps actually introduced that for public transit last year, but now, quoting again, We're making it simpler for people to contribute crowdedness information to their transit lines. Look up directions, tap through to see the transit details, then scroll down to find crowdedness predictions where available and easily contribute your own experiences. To ensure proper social distancing, commuters are paying attention to how crowded or comfortable their ride and transit station will be. Starting today, you can easily see the times when a transit station is historically more or less busy to plan your trip accordingly, or you can look at live data showing how busy it is right now compared to its usual level of activity. Simply search for a station in Google Maps or tap on the station on the map to see the departure board and busyness data where available. Rolling out over the next several weeks, these capabilities are powered by aggregated and anonymized data from users who have opted in to Google Location History, a Google account level setting that is off by default. To protect privacy, these insights are only surfaced when we have sufficient data to meet privacy thresholds." End quote. One more COVID-related item for you today. You might have seen a lot more news being surfaced from Nextdoor over the past few weeks. And let's be honest, with its untrained volunteer moderators, Nextdoor already had a reputation for, shall we call it, I don't know, baby boomer cluelessness. But lately, as The Verge puts it, Nextdoor has developed a serious Karen problem. There have been numerous stories, especially in the last few days, about, well, stories like this, quote, As Black Lives Matter protests began to take place in her area, her white neighbors voiced their condemnation of the movement. All the vital information organizing peaceful protests was drowned out by comments of All Lives Matter, hashtag Beach Lives Matter, and at times threats of violence. One protest planned by community high schoolers was scheduled to take place last week just five minutes down the road from Kalakdan's home at a local shopping area. But her neighbors on next door were quick to assume it was a planned riot. One post alarming the neighborhood to the protest came from a Rancho Santa Fe community lead or volunteer next door moderator looking to verify these riot reports with law enforcement on the platform. Quote, apparently the target is already boarded up, the lead wrote. I pray this doesn't come to our neighborhood, but everyone should plan to stay safe, end quote. The post's comments quickly descended into a fight between users who shared the lead's unwarranted fears and others who called her out for spreading misinformation. One neighbor threatened the protesters, writing, quote, if anyone gets unruly or violent, I plan on coming with pepper spray and a stun gun to help the police. He continued, quote, looters need to be taught a lesson. If they get violent, we need to hit them back tenfold and protect our community, end quote. As The Verge puts it, quote, for years, Nextdoor has struggled to shed its reputation as a snitch app. Used by white and wealthy users to racially profile their neighbors and report them to the police. There are meme accounts like Best of Nextdoor dedicated to sharing the shockingly bad Nextdoor posts. The accounts highlight posts from Karens complaining about everything from children laughing outside to their neighbors' Wi-Fi names. The problem has gotten so bad that just in the last week, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez called for Nextdoor to, quote, publicly deal with their Karen problem, end quote. The problem, according to Verge, is the typical one, where a platform refuses to do any moderation itself, leading to unintended consequences. The first users to launch a neighborhood forum on Nextdoor are basically appointed as lead moderators for that forum in perpetuity, And moderators have basically unlimited power to set the tone of their forums, including deciding which posts and material to leave up, take down, which users to ban or not ban. So imagine the potential for troll power here. You can basically gain virtual power over your virtual reflection of your actual community and thus can quote-unquote reflect that community however you see fit. Basically, there's just not really any true community on Nextdoor, at least not in the small-d democratic sense. Some stranger can set the tone for your neighborhood's Nextdoor forum, and even if it doesn't reflect your own lived reality of the neighborhood you actually live in, you can basically just be out of luck. So, like, take the typical user behavior that has always existed on online forums— Add in racism, the politics and polarization of the moment, and essentially the weaponized charism of the paranoia inducing tech like the Ring doorbell camera, and you have a recipe for a hell that I don't even want to touch with a 10 foot pole. But then again, given that this is how our society functions these days, Chances are a lot of your neighbors are getting their news on Nextdoor, so it's worth asking, as the Verge piece does, quote, can Nextdoor really be a social network for communities if Black people don't feel safe on it, end quote. Finally today, this is a bit inside baseball, but at some point the whole idea of non-competes in the tech industry is going to be definitively decided by the courts, and it's going to end up being a big deal whenever that does happen. Amazon is suing its former AWS VP of product marketing, Brian Hall. Why are they suing Brian? turns out that he took a job at Google Cloud that Amazon alleges violates a non-compete agreement. Now the idea of non-competes especially in the tech industry go back to the 1950s to the Cold War era where a lot of tech companies were working on classified tech and you know your chip design might be as vital to your company's prospects as the secret formula to Coca-Cola might be to Coke but California's laws largely made non-competes less enforceable thereby arguably making Silicon Valley itself even possible And as every industry has now become the tech industry, by and large, at what point are non-competes not only anachronistic in tech, but basically anti-competitive and, more crucially, anti-worker? Quoting GeekWire. It's the latest in a series of lawsuits filed by Amazon and others in Washington state to enforce non-compete clauses in employment contracts. The controversial agreements have essentially been banned in California, and Washington State last year enacted new provisions meant to limit their applicability. Amazon is seeking to enforce an 18-month non-compete provision in Hall's employment contract, asking for an injunction to prevent him from working in cloud product marketing for Google during that period. Hall is asking the court to rule the non-compete clause, quote, overbroad, unreasonable, and unenforceable, and to declare that his new role, quote, will not require him to use or disclose any Amazon confidential information, end quote. Yeah, remember, this dude works in marketing. This is not the same thing as your star engineer getting poached by a rival and taking all of your most sensitive IP along with him inside his brain. There's some complicating factors here, including the differences between Washington State and California other cases in which Amazon chose not to enforce non-compete clauses, and questions of to what degree this is just a proxy fight in the Amazon-Google rivalry in the cloud wars. As Brian Beal tweeted, quote, non-compete clauses amount to indentured servitude. You are legally bound to a past employer, even though they aren't paying you. They completely control your productivity and ability to earn a living long after they stopped employing you. They should be banned everywhere, end quote. And as Karina Zona tweeted, quote, something to discuss, Ari, there's no point in living in Silicon Valley if we work from home. Where you live and where the employer is based determine what employment protections you have. When either moves, whether city, state, or country, employees risk losing rights or stumbling into new liabilities, end quote. As I said on Twitter last night, here's Brian's guide to returning to the workplace, if indeed you are returning to the workplace in the near future. If I put my mask on before greeting you or interacting with you, you not only should take no offense to that, please let's just not even comment on it. This just has to be a thing that can pass without mention these days. Also, I have to be able to ask you to put on a mask before coming up and interacting with me. And again, you are not allowed to comment on my request or take offense to it. Brian's law for the modern COVID workplace is, yes, we might know each other very well, but if you do not live in my household for the foreseeable future, I will still treat you the same way that I treat a complete stranger on the street. And that is fine. That is not insane. It doesn't even have to be awkward. This is just the way it has to be. No, we don't all have to wear masks all the time when we're just sitting at our desks. But when you mean to interact with someone, please allow for their very reasonable concerns surrounding masks. Do not, as someone did at my co-working space yesterday afternoon, literally run up to my door, no mask on, out of breath, knock on the door, then open the door and stick your head in and ask me a question before I even have a chance to react. Please don't do that, okay? Thanks. Talk to you tomorrow.